The Old Testament reading is Jeremiah chapter 9, verses 23 and 24. Thus says the Lord, Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. And now let's turn to Romans chapter 3, verses 21 through 31. So we are continuing our study of the book of Romans. And this morning we are at Romans chapter 3, verses 21 through 31. And this is our sermon text. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also, since God is one, who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. As Christians, we love the gospel because it is the good news of our salvation. Uh, the gospel tells us in, in John three sixteen, a verse very familiar to us, that uh, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And so we rejoice in this good news because of the salvation that our sins are forgiven. We have eternal life and we have God's promise and assurance that when we die, we will enter into that heavenly glory that God has been preparing us for. And so the gospel is precious. It is precious to us as Christians because it means our salvation. But the gospel ought to be equally precious to us because of what it reveals to us about the God who has given us the salvation. The gospel is the good news of our salvation, but even more importantly, the gospel is the revelation of the greatness of the glory of God. Our passage this morning, especially verses 21 through 26, 
is really a summary of the truths that lie at the heart of the gospel. And for that reason, many theologians and scholars uh, consider this particular passage as one of, if not the most important uh, passage in Romans. Uh, One recent commentator said verses 21 through 26 is probably the most important paragraph uh, in his letter. Uh, Martin Luther uh, also said this about these verses. He said the chief point and the very central place of the epistle to the Romans and of the whole Bible. And another theologian even went so far as to say this, that this passage is probably or possibly the most important single paragraph ever written. And I am not going to venture to uh, dispute that claim. If there is another more important paragraph ever written, it would uh, I would like to uh, see that. And Paul's burden in this momentous passage is not only Uh, to show us what the gospel means for us, but also to show us what the gospel means for our understanding of uh, the nature and the character of God. In other words, what is revealed here in these verses is not just the good news of what God has done for our salvation, but what is revealed here is the glory of God. Uh, We can put this another way, that... What this passage shows us is not only the reason why we ought to give thanks to God for this salvation, but this passage also shows us why we must give worship and praise and adoration to this God who has made himself known to us in this salvation. Now, this passage is loaded with all kinds of uh, very uh, important teaching. Uh, But just to uh, give structure to our consideration of uh, this passage this morning, we'll focus on two uh, general uh, points. Uh, The first is, this passage shows us that God is a merciful Savior. That God is a merciful Savior. Also, this passage shows us that God is a righteous judge. So first, God is a merciful Savior. Last week, we finished... At the, uh, well, we finished chapter 3, verse 20. That's where we, where we stopped last week in our, our study of Romans. And you can say that at that point in the letter, at Romans 3, verse 20, Paul leaves us there in a place of absolute helplessness and hopelessness. Uh, he has already spent most of the letter so far uh, showing us that all people, Jew and Gentile, are spiritually and morally corrupt and therefore accountable, liable, uh, and under the righteous judgment of God because of our sin. And then in chapter 3, verses 10 through 28, Paul compiles an entire collection of Old Testament verses to show that this teaching of his about our sin is not something that that Paul just made up from his own mind, But that this teaching that we are sinners under God's wrath, that this comes straight from the mouth of the Lord. And so he quotes uh, from God's word. Uh, Chapter 3, verses 10 and 11. None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. And so this is not just Paul's assessment of the human condition, but this is God's verdict on us, on man, that we are guilty. We are guilty and we are condemned and we are worthy only of condemnation and to suffer eternal punishment. And then 
Then, if that were not bad enough in itself, Paul slams the door shut on the one possible way that we might have to escape uh, the wrath of God. And that way is by keeping the law of God so that we can make ourselves righteous before him. But Paul says at the end of our passage last week, no, there is no hope in the law of God. All that the law of God does for us as sinners is provide occasion for us to commit more sin because it is through the the law that comes the knowledge of sin. And not only that, but the law renders every single one of us guilty and without excuse. Every mouth is stopped before God because the the law condemns us, convicts us as guilty. And so if our hope at all was that perhaps we can make ourselves right with God, perhaps we can save ourselves by keeping the commandments of God, that hope is dashed to pieces when Paul says in verse 20, for by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. And so this is our plight at the end of chapter 3, verse 20. We are all guilty and corrupted by sin. We are all condemned to suffer eternally the righteous judgment of God for our sin. And we have no way to help ourselves out of this predicament. And so we are left in a very dark and hopeless place. But then we come to verse 21. And verse 21 comes like a burst of light uh, flooding our darkness, bringing light and hope to us. Verse 21, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Now, what Paul means here by the righteousness of God in verse 21 is the righteousness that God gives us freely as a gift so that we can be counted righteous in his sight so that we are therefore no longer condemned by him. In other words, the righteousness of God is that righteousness by which we are justified. And this is our true hope as sinners. We can be forgiven. Our guilt can be taken away. We can be counted righteous with God. We can be made right with him so that we may have the hope of glory to come and peace of conscience in this life. And this is all because of this righteousness of God that he gives to us, that he imparts to us or imputes to us as a gift. Paul says in verse 21 that this righteousness has been manifested apart from the law. What that means is this What that means is this, that this righteousness of God by which we are saved, it becomes ours, not by our keeping the commandments of God, not by our good works or obedience, but this righteousness of God becomes ours solely, purely, by receiving it from God as a gift. It is not something that we gain. It is not something that we earn or merit. Rather, it is a gift given freely to us by God. So Paul says in verse 24, We are justified. We are justified. That is, we are counted righteous. Our sins are forgiven. We are right with God. We are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Now, Paul also says in verse 21 that although this righteousness that saves us is apart from the law, that is apart from the works of the law, that does not mean that the scriptures said nothing about the saving righteousness of God. In fact, the entirety of the Old Testament, that is, uh, the scriptures as they existed at the time of Paul, the Bible of Paul, the Bible of Jesus, the Old Testament, 
The scriptures with one voice all bear witness to this wonderful truth that God would save his people not by their doing the works of the law, but that God would provide salvation for his people through his son, the Christ, the Messiah who would come in the fullness of time. And so everything in the Old Testament, the covenants, the promises, the priesthood, the sacrifice, together with one voice, they all bear witness to this truth. God is saying, through these things, my salvation will come not through the law, but through the Christ, the Son of God. And so Paul says in verse 21, the law and the prophets, that is the scripture, the law and the prophets bear witness to it, that is to this righteousness of God that brings us salvation. And then this passage as a whole underlines two truths about this saving righteousness of God. Uh, the first is this, it is all of grace. It is all of grace. We've already, we've already touched on that, but let's, let's dig into that a little bit more. Paul says in verse 22 that this righteousness that saves us becomes ours. We obtain it, we receive it through faith, through faith. In verse 22, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. And when this verse says through faith, what it means is through faith alone, through faith apart from works, faith apart from any effort, any work, any contribution whatsoever that I think may somehow contribute to or form part of the basis upon which I am justified, I am considered righteous in the sight of God. Put it another way, when you come to Jesus Christ for salvation, when you come to Jesus to be your savior from sin and death, you do not bring him any works. You do not bring him anything that you have done. You do not bring him any righteousness or goodness from within you. But all that you bring him is your sin and your need. And you're, you reach out to him with the empty hand of faith, only to receive from him the righteousness that saves you. And so, simply by trusting, by faith, by believing in Christ, God counts you as perfectly righteous. By faith alone, in Christ alone, your sins are forgiven. By faith alone, in Christ alone, God counts you as righteous and fit for glory. Now, what if that were not the case? Let's do a little thought experiment. Let's consider if that were not the case. That we are not saved by faith apart from works. What if God said to us, I will save you if you believe in my son Jesus Christ, but not only must you believe in Jesus, you must also add to your faith some works. You must render some obedience to my word. You must do something good and righteous in addition to your faith. Before I will justify you, before I will declare you righteous, before you can have any assurance that your sins are forgiven, you must not only believe in my son Jesus, but you must do some work. In other words, what if God said we are justified by faith plus works? If that were the case, would we not be able to say, I helped myself out? I did something to contribute to my salvation. Of course, 
we would be humble. We would say, Jesus did most of it. In fact, Jesus did 99% of what was necessary for me to be saved. But I did my part. I did my 1%. I did what I could to obey God, to do good works. We could legitimately say, if that was the case, that I'm going to heaven because of something I did. Even if it was only in part because of something I did. I'm forgiven. I'm justified. I'm going to heaven. But what does this passage say? What does the scripture say? Verse 27. Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. If I have any room whatsoever to claim that my works, my obedience, my goodness or righteousness has contributed even just a tiny fraction of what was necessary for me to be made righteous before God. If I have any room to claim that for myself at all, then I have room to boast. I have room to boast in what I have done. The verse 27 says all boasting is excluded. There is no room for boasting. And it is excluded, Paul says, on the, uh, because of the law of faith. What Paul means there by the law of faith is the principle or the rule of faith. And that principle or rule of faith is this. That the righteousness that is necessary for you to stand in the presence of God and for God to say, you are forgiven, you are righteous, enter into my glory. That righteousness that is found only in Jesus Christ, the rule of faith says, This is yours only by faith, only by trusting in Christ, only by coming to him apart from works, believing in him. Now, as Christians, we can boast. In fact, we should boast. But our boasting is not in what we have done or in our goodness, but our boasting is in Christ. Our boast is this. Jesus paid it all. Jesus has done it all. Jesus lived that life of perfect obedience that I failed to live. Jesus bore that, that the penalty of the law, the condemnation that I deserve for me. Jesus is my Lord. He is my Savior. My salvation is entirely because of what he has done. Praise God. Praise Christ. That is how we boast. So Paul says in verse 28, he says, For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. You may be familiar that when Martin Luther uh, first translated the Bible into German, that he actually inserted in this verse the word alone, uh, so that it said, we are justified by faith alone. Now, Luther was definitely not uh, right to do that. Uh, We shouldn't uh, add words uh, to the Bible. But nevertheless, he was exactly right in understanding the meaning, the teaching, not only of this passage, but in the entire letter to Romans. You are made right with God solely on the basis of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And that righteousness becomes yours solely through the instrumentality of faith. Apart from works, 
faith alone. You are justified by faith alone. And by the way, when it says faith apart from works, every work is excluded. It also excludes works that are done by the believer, that are worked by the Spirit, that truly are good because they come from God's Spirit. Even those Spirit-wrought works that God works within us, even those works are excluded as the basis of our justification. It is only by faith. And so we don't say we are saved by faith plus the good works that God enables us to do for justification. No, you are saved, you are justified by trusting in Christ alone, apart from works. That's what this passage is saying. This is what the Spirit is declaring to us through this word. And because we are justified by faith alone, because this is apart from any works that we contribute, therefore, and also because faith, faith itself is a gift of God, for that reason then, our salvation is all of grace. It is all of grace. It is God freely, graciously, mercifully doing for us what we in our sin absolutely could not do in bringing us salvation. And so Paul, again, says in verse 24, we are justified by his grace as a gift. And so that's the first thing that this passage tells us about this righteousness of God that saves us. It is all of grace. The second thing it tells us, it is for all people who come to faith in Christ. Verse 22 again. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. Now we've seen that Paul has been very emphatic all through his letter to the Romans to say again and again that not only are all people, Jew and Gentile, under the condemnation of God because of sin, but the salvation that God has accomplished for us in Jesus Christ is available to all people, both Jew and Gentile. And he continues to stress this in this passage as well. He says in verse uh, 22, in verse 23, For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so what this means is that no matter who you are, if you are a human being, you have sinned. And not only have you sinned, but you have sinned because you are by nature a sinner. You and I have failed to reflect the righteousness, the holiness of God in our lives. We have fallen short of God's glory. We have not done what we were created to do to, to show forth, to magnify, to reflect the glory of God in lives of righteousness and holiness. You know, one thing this, that this means is, looking at sin from this perspective of falling short of the glory of God is that as sinners, we are not only rebels against God, we are not only breakers of the law of God, but we are failures. We are failures because we have failed to do what God created us to do, and that is to glorify Him. And so a person... He or she could be the most spectacular success that the world has ever seen. And yet, apart from Christ, that person will be an abject failure because he has not fulfilled what God created him to do. That is to give glory to God. And that's another way that our sin has ruined us. 
We are all sinners, but the way of salvation is the same for all people. That is by faith in Christ, by faith alone in Christ. If salvation were, if it were possible that salvation was by not only believing in Jesus, but by keeping the commandments of the law, that would imply that God made salvation possible only for the Jewish people, because at the time of Paul's writing, it was virtually only the Jewish people who had in the scriptures the written law of God. And so Paul says in verses 29 and 30, or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also. Since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. This was one of the foundational bedrock truths that the people of Israel confessed that God is one, that God is one. And Paul is saying, if that is true, which it is, of course, then God is the God of all people. And therefore, God's way of salvation is the same for all people. He doesn't have one way for the Jews and one way for the Gentiles. One way of salvation, faith in Jesus apart from works. And by the way, don't make too much of or read too much into the way that Paul uses different prepositions to say the circumcised are, are, are justified or saved by faith, the uncircumcised, uh, through faith, um, it's just a stylistic difference. There's no difference there. The point is, is that Jew or Gentile, all people are justified by faith, by faith. So what does this salvation that is free to all who believe, what is this salvation that is all of grace tell us about God? It tells us that he is gracious, that he is kind, that he is merciful. It tells us that God does not deal with us as our sins deserve. It tells us that God is a merciful Savior. He is a merciful Savior. But the tragic thing is, is that so many people who have heard this truth, that God is a merciful Savior, they don't really grasp what that really means. They, they don't comprehend the, the full significance of that. And the reason for that is because so many people have not come to terms with what else is true about God, and that is that he is a righteous judge, that God is perfectly holy, he is perfectly righteous, he must judge sin. And that's the second thing that this passage tells us about God, that he is a righteous judge. If you were to go up to a random stranger on the street, and you were to tell them, have I got great news for you? I have got wonderful news to share with you. God gave us his son, Jesus Christ, so that your sins can be forgiven. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that wonderful? That God is merciful. He is gracious. He does not set, he doesn't count our sins against us in Christ. Now, most likely, if you go up to a random person and tell them that, this is not the way that they are going to respond. They are not going to say, most likely, they are not going to say something like, thank you for sharing that with me. I have been so burdened by my guilt. I have been so convicted of my sin. I have been 
day by day in tears, wondering how can I be made right with a righteous and holy God? Tell me more about this God. That's not likely what you're going to hear. Uh, You can ask James in his evangelism how often he hears people uh, respond that way. You would love to hear it, of course, but more likely what you The response you'll get is something like, you tell them that God is gracious and merciful and forgives sins, and the person will say, "Uh, yeah, Uh, tell me something I don't know. Of course God is gracious. That's his job. And as a people, it's, it's indicative that as a people, we have taken it for granted that God is gracious and forgiving. We presume upon his mercy. Uh, the words of the poet A.H. Auden uh, speak for many, many people today. He said, I like to commit crimes. God likes to forgive them. Really, the world is admirably arranged. Or the, the Empress Catherine of Russia in the 18th century, she said, I shall be an autocrat. That is my trade. And the good Lord will forgive me. That is his. And so we assume that God is going to be gracious to us because that is just his job. But if we are going to be so bold as to say what God's job is, then we're going to say that his job is not to show sinners mercy and grace, but his job is to uphold his perfect standard of righteousness. His job is to carry out his uncompromising Judgment against any creature who violates his holiness. So God's job is not mercy and grace. God's job is justice. It is justice. And when it comes to dealing with sin, God's justice involves and it must involve the manifestation of his righteous indignation against the one who commits sin. The Bible calls this holy anger of God against sin and against those who commit sin His wrath, his wrath. And so the wrath of God is his personal and just indignation against the one who sins against him by breaking his commandments. And in our natural state, as sinners, we are under the wrath of God. The wrath of God rests upon us. And that doesn't just mean that God is angry with our sins. But God is angry with us. His wrath rests upon us. Our persons are the object of his wrath because of the sins we have committed. And so God is going to do his job. He is going to uphold his righteousness, his justice by pouring out his wrath upon us. And because we have sinned against an infinite God, that judgment can only be carried out by our suffering a punishment of infinite proportions, that is, eternal condemnation. But the glory of the gospel is that God has provided his son to be a substitute, to bear that wrath, to take that condemnation for you and for me. Speaking of Jesus, Paul says in verse 25, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. Uh, You might be wondering, what in the world is a propitiation? A propitiation is a sacrifice 
It is a sacrifice that does not merely remove sin or take away the guilt of sin, but a propitiation is a sacrifice that removes sin by satisfying the righteous wrath of God. It is a sacrifice that takes in itself, that, is the, that, that receives that holy, righteous anger of God for sin. Jesus was set forth to be a propitiation. That means that Jesus, when he hung upon the cross, he absorbed in himself that wrath of God, that holy, righteous indignation that was towards us, that, that belonged to us. Jesus himself took that, that God's wrath might be satisfied, that we might be forgiven. And his justice and his wrath has been fully satisfied in the cross of Jesus Christ. And so if you belong to Jesus Christ by faith, if you are his by faith, and this is the wonderful news that the gospel proclaims to you is that you are no longer under the wrath of God. But now, you be, now, now the face of God shines upon you. God looks down upon you with a smile on his face. You receive his favor and his blessing. Now it's true to say as a Christian that you were always loved by God. You were loved by God even before he created you. He set you apart in eternity for this salvation. But now... Now that you have come to Christ, you can enjoy the blessing, the favor, the grace of God in the way that you could not before, when his wrath still rested upon you. Now, Paul explains that one reason why God put forward his son, Jesus Christ, was to show or to demonstrate or manifest his righteousness. God put forward Jesus as a propitiation to show that he is a God who must and will deal with sin. So Paul says in verse 25, this was to show God's righteousness because of his divine forbearance. He had passed over former sins. And so in ages past, Paul is saying God was forbearing. He was he was patient. He did not fully and immediately bring down upon those who sinned the judgment that they deserved. And the unbelieving world might see that and say, look, there is no God in heaven who is righteous and just. The whole world continues to commit sin and we all get away with it. But the cross of Christ is God's message to the world that no, God is just. And there is a judgment that is coming. The wrath of God will be poured out upon all those who commit sin, all those who are sinners, that is all people who do not come to Christ because that wrath has already been manifested in the cross of Jesus Christ and his bearing the wrath for his people. But even more than that, even more than a demonstration that God is righteous, the cross of Christ is God's message to the world that although he is righteous and though he must judge sin, that he's gracious, that there's hope, that there's hope for sinners. Why? Because that wrath was poured out upon Christ for us. And so Paul says in verse 26, it was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. And here is where uh, the cross of Christ truly does uh, manifest 
the fullness of the, the greatness, the glory of who God is. And look at the cross. And what do you see? You see a God who is infinitely and perfectly just. A God who cannot compromise his righteousness. A God who does not wink at sin. A God who does not look past sin. But a God who deals with sin. Who deals with sin by the pouring out of his righteous indignation. But look again at the cross and what do you see? You see a God who is wondrously gracious and kind and merciful. Because for us, for his people, he carried out his justice, not upon us, but upon his son. And so God is glorious in his righteousness. God is glorious in his mercy. And this God, who has revealed to us his greatness and his glory in the cross, he is rightly the object of your gratitude, your thanksgiving, because of the salvation that he has worked for you in Jesus Christ. But he is also just as much the object of your worship, your praise, your adoration, because in saving you, he has shown you just what a great and a glorious God he is. Let's pray.